Hello, this is Father David Nix on the Padre Peregrino podcast. This is the Theology and Current Events series called A Rescuer of the Trafficked. Actually, we should probably call it A Rescuer of Child Slaves. only reason we're not is because trafficking is what people are more used to. I'm joined by my new friend, Gabe, who I met in real life on the East Coast not too long ago. Gabe works for an organization that goes in and rescues children who have been sex slaves from the traffickers, from the Johns and the pimps. He goes in with weapons and takes away the innocent and puts the bad guys behind bars. At least he gets the ball rolling for that. Gabe, thanks for joining me today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So his organization, they rescue trafficked children across the globe. His specific area is the Caribbean. Now, because of the sensitive nature of this podcast, we're going to suggest that parents refrain from having kids listen, but we will try to use just PG-13 language instead of our language. As we covered in a previous podcast of mine, there are 50 million slaves in the world. About 12% of those are exclusively sex slaves, even though there's probably many more people that are used on the side. And of those 50 million, about um, a quarter of those are children. It's important to realize that trafficked children do not offer sexual favors. It is only and exclusively rape. And that means Gabe here is rescuing teenagers and even children and even, well, very little children at times who are raped. And it's hard to believe it's 2023 right now. And these are the goods, so to speak, that the world wants. So the world is not getting better. Thankfully, we have Gabe and others who are going in and rescuing children who are abused beyond recognition at times. So, Gabe, before we get into the work, I'm going to ask you just what are some misconceptions about child sex slavery or trafficking, especially misconceptions we have in the United States, specifically about international trafficking? Later, I'm going to ask you about what's happening in the United States, but what is the American misunderstanding about what's happening in other countries? Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's a great pleasure to be here. So I think the number one thing that I hear a lot of people say sometimes, and I'm like, you know, and then obviously I I don't try to like do it in a certain way where I come off rude or something. But I think the biggest thing I see is or I hear is people think that a typical child who is only way of being trafficked is a child who was like kidnapped in a van, the, the you know, the movie script, you know. Oh, my child was kidnapped in a van and that's how he's trapped. No, um, that is the one that drives me crazy because obviously I've seen a majority of the cases that I deal with children trafficking are family, you know, stepfathers, uncles, fathers, grandfathers, a neighbor, an older brother are usually how the kids get into sex slavery, you know, within the household. And then it goes from there. You know, that's primarily, that's a higher percentage of what you see versus the kidnapped and forced into sex slavery, which is what we deal with as well. But, you know, the majority is family who is responsible for that. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That's what I'd said on a, a previous podcast, how um, in the United States and foreign, it's really shocking how there's even cases in everywhere from Cambodia to the United States of fathers, stepfathers, uncles uh, trafficking 
their own children. Um, yep. what's, the, what's the age group we're looking at, especially where you do your work in the Caribbean? Um, what's the age of the children you're rescuing? So I'll tell you, um, it's taken a weird turn for me, okay? And the reason why I say this is because originally when I started out, I dealt with various of cases with teenagers, mostly teenagers, anywhere from 13, 12, 10, 13, 14, and up, you know. In the last six months, it's taken a drastic turn, and I've seen very sick cases of as young as one-year-old. Um, one-year-old, two, three, four. The last, my last... Uh, few hardest cases have been two, three, four years old. Um, that's Those are the hardest ones. They're all hard, but they're all hard at different levels. And I think, you know, when you see a baby, you're like, man, so pure. Mm. And that, that those are the hardest ones to, to swallow. But that's what I've seen the most lately, unfortunately. That's a lot lower than I expect you to say. That's that's pretty, yeah. That's hard for me and everyone else to hear. I can't imagine what it's like for you to see that stuff. Um, before we get to that, and I and remind me to ask you about body harvesting and organ harvesting later uh, in this because yep. I know that's something you mentioned at dinner. Um, maybe we could go chronologically through this. What got you involved? Why were you interested? When was your first rescue? Essentially, what got you involved in this? So not not because I'm speaking with you uh, on this podcast, but it's it was I believe like it was God driven, and the reason why I say that is because I always something always called me on it. Now something always just said, "Man, I was so interested in like how can I help? How can I be involved?" You know, I'm not a wealthy person. Um, I know what my skills are in life, and I said, "Man, I would love to be part of it," and I was super interested and in really getting to the point that I'm at now, you know, being highly involved in the Caribbean and being involved, not just being like, Oh, let me donate money here and there. I wanted to be part of the, the team to actually get involved. So I got lucky or, or should I say blessed. Um, I had been following a couple of big companies and, 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 and very well-known names who were involved in rescuing children and, uh, in one of, uh, about a, two and a half years ago, no, I'm lying to you about a, three years ago, we had like, uh, at my church, they were saying something one day and, and I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to go this, just, they weren't saying it directly to me. They were just saying a message to Ron. They were reading a verse. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my own research on this. So I started reaching out to a bunch of different companies saying, Hey, this is my name. This is what I'm capable of doing. I would love to be part of this. So I reached out to various companies and then I just got lucky just because a few months later, you know, all the companies re responded to me very well. Um, and I was blessed because just shortly after that, um, I had a really good friend of mine uh, reach out to me and say, Hey, there's this person here, which I know, I know them because of you. You're the one that put them, put me on with them. And by doing so, I was able to meet them in person set up a meeting and I met up with a whole entire team and I said, Hey, I would love and be honored to work with you guys. Please give me an opportunity. Um, a very good friend of mine, Carlos Silva, uh, mentioned to them, Hey, listen, 
you know, he's very well trained. He's a street kid with a really good attitude. And I, I you know, former professional fighter, highly trained in weapons. Um, and just, just, you know, kind of selling me. And I was like, appreciate it. So then fast forward, um, I was contacted. And that was about a year and a half ago. And ever since then, that's how I've been on board. And that's your full-time job, right? So I actually own my own gym. I own a gym here in Miami. Um, I own a pretty well-known gym here in Miami. I used to fight professionally. That's how I got all the way down. I used to fight professionally. I opened up my own gym. And then in the last year and a half, I own my own business. But then it gives me, you know, I was blessed to be able to have the freelance schedule to start doing this. And yeah, pretty much I do this full time. You know, I, when I got to get up and go, I just go. So, yeah. So tell us a few missions, a few rescues. Obviously you're not going to use names and exact locations. Maybe, maybe tell us a few success stories and a few disappointing stories. Maybe, you know, I like to go from bad to good. Maybe tell us a couple negative before we get to the glory stories, a couple disappointing ones, and then maybe a few ones that'll give some hope to the listeners. So I think the most negative ones are the ones that have impacted in myself um, are usually the cases that I know of kids that we leave behind for various reasons. Um, you know, like you said, I worked the Caribbean. So, you know, there's been a couple of times that I've been in Haiti and I'm like, man, I just don't want to leave these kids here. And those are the hardest ones. I think um, it's just having to take a step away and for various of reasons you can't you know we can't rescue everybody you can't save everyone for various of reasons of why and for leaving kids in these bad situations in the sense of even if it's in just these really bad living situations um those are the hardest ones um now i think some of my know, listeners are people are going to be wondering at this point what are some of those reasons if if you're on a team with automatic weapons and you have children that are trafficked, I can guess at the answers of it, but what are your answers why you, with a so, team of guys with drones and automatic weapons, would even leave kids behind? So, okay, so in that aspect, we don't, right? So I'll tell you what happens. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's just, everyone thinks we just go in there, you clean house, rescue other kids, and you're out. No. So, per se, for example, we have to do undercover work first, which sometimes we're not associated with local police, local government, local military, whatever country you're in, whatever resources you have. Sometimes we go in as American tourists to get leads, see who the traffickers are, you know, get to an actual resource, you know, because sometimes you could go down the triple tree and you just never get to the source. Sometimes, you know, they're just people just trying to hustle money until you get to the actual source. That's where I think the hardest one is, um, is actually getting to the source sometimes. Obviously, I've gotten good enough to now know how to get to it faster, know who's for real and who's not. So first, you got to play the tourist role. You know, play as an American tourist, you know, play as a sicko, looking for women, looking for children, getting to the source. Now, no, we've never done a raid where we leave kids behind, you know. That has never been the situation. Say you go undercover, you meet a trafficker, you get a source, that day, they happen to maybe show you some kids or they show you some kids on the phone. And then when you guys go meet for the actual purchase, buy, however you want to call it, it's not those kids. You're like, man, 
we're the ones that we saw, you know, mm-hmm. and then those are kids that are missing or kids that are unaccounted for or or you meet a trafficker and they're like, yeah, I just sold five kids to this guy. You're like, man, you know, those are all the kids that yeah. I refer to as ones that we leave behind. Um, you know, obviously when we join, when we join the local police and do the raids, we've never left a kid behind. Um, not in that aspect. Yes. Um, that, so you that, sometimes so that, you go into these situations as the creep, as the user, as the John, in, in some of these undercover situations, you pretend obviously not like you're the rescuer in some of these situations, you're pretending like yep. you want to buy children. Yeah. So, you know, part of our team, we have a couple of older guys and, you know, they have the white long hair, white beards, and they play a good role of an old American tourist just here looking for children. Um, you know, sometimes I just play as their American bodyguard just to play the role a little better. Or since I know I'm very fluent with English and Spanish, I play as their friend who just knows Spanish. I'm here to help them out. You know, obviously getting intel as much intel as we can on those people. And that's how usually we fall into place of being able to get the traffickers to get comfortable enough with us to show us enough evidence on the phones, send us evidence. And then we go in with the valuable resources of coming in, you know, because we're American at the end of the day. So it's not like we could just go into any country and do what we want. You know, we need to work with the local police, you know, help them get evidence, provide, you know, provide all the evidence that we can to then get legal search warrants, arrest warrants. And that's how we go forward. So at dinner, you were telling me when we were out with Carlos, the most international users across the globe of children is Americans. Did I get that right? American men are traveling for international children? Yeah, 100%. So every anywhere and everywhere where I have been, there's always some American creeper just waiting around, just involved somehow. Um if it's looking for women, looking for children, looking for drugs, just involved somehow. Um, a friend of a trafficker or even a trafficker in another country, um, which, you know, there's a couple of big cases I'm working on right now. And it's two Americans are the actual traffickers out of those places. Tell us a few of the glory stories. You told us about the, uh, the one in Mexico that really um, edified our dinner table down there uh last week yeah did that one or another one tell us a few glory stories of your work in rescuing children so big one in mexico um you know myself and a buddy we went over there we we're just getting some intel and I, i'm gonna obviously cut out certain parts and not say certain things um so we went over there as this you know plain american tourists we received some information and Potentially, they were going to sell us 15, 16-year-old girls. You know, they were showing us what they had on, on, on the phone, showing us what girls they had available. And because pretty much what they do is they show you a catalog. You know, they show you a catalog of what they have. They're like, hey, this is what we have available. You pick, blah, blah, blah. So as we're going through the catalog, and I, I, just, I just I felt it in me that something else is up. And as they were going through the catalog and showing us girls, He's the, the, you know, the trafficker just throws a curveball. He's like, hey, but I got something here. If you guys want to see it, it's just going to cost a lot of money. You know, and we we're obviously diverting the conversation. Like, hey, don't talk to us about money. doesn't matter. What do you guys want? What's going on? So long story short, um, he went, 
locked the door. We went down this back room. And even for me, it was a very surreal moment. You know, swings the door open. And as plain Jane as I could explain it, there was a doggy bed blanket on the floor. And there was a little seven-year-old girl there just laying there naked completely. And, you know, for me, it was a very, you know, intense moment. I grabbed the girl, passed her to my guy, said, hey, get her out of here. You know, um, I had a little issue with a trafficker, which I won't say on uh, on the podcast, but, you know, things got very hostile. Um, and we ended up having to get out of that situation. We rescued the girl, seven years old. She had been kidnapped from a few hours north just a couple of days prior and the beautiful part of the story was we were the first Americans that she was, they were going to sell her to us. So after medical exams and everything came forward, the girl had not been violated, sexually violated or anything. Obviously she was traumatized, you know, with what happened. But the beautiful, beautiful part is she had not been sexually abused. Um, obviously the trauma of the situation in itself was enough, but um our Mexican authorities got there. They got the trafficker. They got, they raided the place. Uh, we received more intel on where she came from. Family came and picked her up the next, very next day. Uh, it, it ended up being a very good story um, as far as her rescue. Um, and, and, you know. Hey, Pat, I got a couple questions for you on that. Um, tell me. Yeah, one is, so So they caught, they caught the trafficker. Um and I can cut this out if this is what you didn't specifically yep. want to talk about. But Tell can you me. talk about the video they showed of his face later when he was when he was talking that you saw from Mexican police? Yeah. So after, uh, you know, we, we went back. He looked, to he looked him. a little bit different after his encounter with you. He did. His encounter was very different. You know, um, he didn't have any of his front teeth. You mean teeth. after he met you? After he met me. Had nothing. I don't know. But. You know, way after, it was just a situation that happened. And he had no top teeth, no top, no bottom teeth, broken jaw, broken orbital bone. And obviously, you're in Mexico, so they obviously have a very major drug problem, gun problem. You know, right now, they have a major issue of women gone missing. But not everyone's fond of traffickers of children or anything yeah. in that aspect. So they gave him no medical help. You know, and he was in that situation for a little bit. And a couple weeks later, we went to go question him or whatnot. And he just couldn't even talk. His mouth was infected, wasn't doing too good. You know, he couldn't even hold water too well. His mouth was disgusting. So, you know, that was his resolution, you know. Um, yeah. Well, thank thank you so much for rescuing that child. Not that I have any authority to thank you, but thank you to yeah, you cool. for putting your own life. And I know you're a husband and a father putting your own life on the line for that um yeah you no know, some people would hear this story the fact <coughs> excuse me some people would hear the story and the fact that you were after other intel that there were more girls when, when i first heard, heard you tell this story at dinner one of my initial thoughts not that i stuck with it but one of my initial thoughts was well wait a minute if they were going to rescue more girls shouldn't gabe have kept his eyes on the initial mission instead of being diverted to just save one girl you so you saved one girl when you could have saved 10 Later, I realized as a Catholic priest, this is in divine providence. God wanted that girl rescued that day. Obviously, he wants the other ones rescued too. But for some reason, someone was praying for that girl and the prayers got 
you know, executed through you and and saved that little girl um, who'd never been violated and got her back into the arms of her parents. But what would you say to someone who doesn't see divine providence in all of this, how you took your eyes off the initial Intel mission to save one girl instead of like five or 10? What would your answer to maybe a secularist be on that? So there's never a right or right, wrong, right, right or wrong answer, you know, um, and I'll tell you why. For my personal opinion, you do what you can and when you can. And for example, at that moment, that little seven-year-old girl was a priority to me. And I'll say why, you know, children are the most purest form in my ass. That's how I look at kids. That's why I love kids because they're just pure. You get them how they are until they're corrupted. And in that situation, she was just so pure. She reminded me of my daughter. It was a personal, maybe I'm being biased, but it reminded me of my daughter. Um, pure child. She was there. She was in the condition. She was naked. And just in the weird situation, it was this weird room, just a weird setup around it. And I did blank out for that moment while rescuing that daughter, that other girl. Now, at the end of the day, the girls that he was showing us weren't even nowhere near present, you know, in our, you know, yeah, close proximity of rescuing. So, yeah, it's hard to say, but like, imagine what, so I would say to somebody like, all right, well, you be in that situation and I'll give you a better answer. Do I leave the seven-year-old girl there who had not been sexually abused yet? We, she's the unknown. And then say, Hey, I'm going to leave her here with you. We'll be back for the other girls. And we want her. And then we take the risk of her getting abused, which she hadn't been yet. So that was the blessing in that one. Um, Regardless, it's always hard to rescue on. I always question this myself, right? Am I even doing enough? You know, just one person with a team. Are we doing enough? We rescued one today. We rescued seven tomorrow. You rescued 10 on one mission. Are you doing enough? Is it enough with the amount of numbers that you hear out there and all the cases that we hear? So good guy or bad guy, it's hard to take care of all, you know, and do all. And at the end of the day, I'm human. I made the right choice that day to myself. I slept well with that choice. Um, I was nowhere near leaving that seven-year-old girl in that condition. So I did my part um, in that aspect. Some people may disagree, and I understand. Um, but until you're in those situations, it's hard to, it's hard to make those calls. It's awesome you rescued that girl. So when we're talking maybe uh, more teenage girls that you're rescuing, um, one of the things I said on my last podcast on trafficking is the rescuers may encounter Stockholm syndrome to the point they don't want to go with the rescuers. Teen teen girls may not want to go with the rescuers. And then before I hit record, you had said there was, you know, you confirmed that, that there is those cases, but you have a special group of women on your team that helps with it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because again, one of my challenges to rescuers is what do you do about the situations when it's not metal bonds, when it's not handcuff bonds keeping them, but all of the emotional attachments to the pimps, their users, their slave, they're really slave traders. So they're not really pimps, they're they're slave traders. Um, How do you rescue uh, teenage girls who already have major, major Stockholm syndrome already set in. 
All right. So, for example, um, in the Dominican Republic, I work with a very good team on the ground there. And the females that are involved on that team are very strong women, you know. Um, and for example, just a few months ago, we had a case where, you know, we set up this gentleman and he was bringing us a bunch of minors, all teenagers. One of the girls ended up being related to him. And he was the trafficker, provided us with the girls. They were all minors. He was forced in the traffic. So, for example, when we got him, some of those girls, in my personal opinion, were going to go in to get help, go to jail, whatever, you know, obviously, facility, situation they were going to be in. Uh, you know, if they were getting rescued and they were going to get processed and whatever, a couple of those girls, the very next day, maybe two days later, will be doing the same exact thing because it's all they know. It's their survival skills. It's how they know how to live. Some of those girls, you could tell they're still accepting help, wanting the help, understanding that this is not right, regardless of what country you're in and what age you're legally to have sex with anyone and none of that stuff. They know it's wrong. The situation sucks. The situation is not good. Just because they're used to it doesn't mean it's normal. But we have strong women at team, that Dominican team, that they grab those girls, that they throw them in the van, and they're like, hey, you're coming with us. You're going to get processed. We're going to help you. We're going to get you help, and we're here to help you. And you see it. And I think it's because maybe the women of women action, you know, girls to women, you know, they, they could relate. The women get in their heads saying, hey, listen, what that guy's doing is not helping you. Just because he's giving you a couple of dollars to eat or feed your child doesn't mean he's really helping you. He's forcing you to do this. There's other ways around this, you know. Um, you know, and then I can speak on our, our aftercare team and stuff like that, which they help these girls get jobs and, you know, steady income and, and get them, you know, proper care. So it's all part of it. Like, you know, we had another in incident where we had a, an older group of women in the sense of that they were being trafficked. They were being forced into sex slavery. And they were some of them were even being tra trafficked amongst women. And some of the women were the pushers. And then you're like, man. And they were just victims at one point themselves. That's the truth. They just learned how to survive and be the alpha. They're like, if I end up helping the traffickers push these other girls, I no longer have to sell myself. And I still make money. So, you know, you that, do what That you makes can. total you know, sense. I mean, where where is the line that goes from you know, abuse to consenting abuser. That's a really, really complex moral topic. <laughs> but it sounds like what you're saying there is for minors, for, for the trafficked sex slaves under 18, if you have a good team, if you have a good rescuing team, sometimes you almost don't let them have a, ch a choice. It's like, I know you want to stay with this guy, but you're coming yep. with us. I think the way you described it at dinner is, Maybe you were half joking. They grab them by the ear and say, you're getting in the van. The good guys, yeah. the good gals grab the used slaves by the ear and say, you're, you're coming with us, whether you like to or not, which I think is 100%. a really great strategy. So, yeah, like, you know, in the Latin form, you know, we have Hispanics and Hispanics are very strong women. And they're like, hey, get over here. I know you think this is good for you because you've been doing it for so long, but it's not the way of the world. They grab them. They force them into help. 
and then you know obviously you might lose a couple of them and then you know you do what you can and yep. it's the same way as and it's the same way as hey what do you do with the children that weren't rescued same way you do what you can keep moving rescue as many as you can when you can you know Yep. Yeah, Gabe, and I think it's important to mention one of the numbers I saw was there was an increase of 10 million kids trafficked due to the lockdowns. Further proof these lockdowns were from Satan. 10 million more kids. Why? Because there was kids all over the globe in the basement on their devices communicating with people they didn't know. Were those traffickers all the time? No, of course not. But they were opportunists. The traffickers were opportunists, and some of them were. And some of these traffickers found new kids to traffic because kids were so lonely. Loneliness is a huge part of these lockdowns. It's a huge part of people's lives in isolation. What can you tell yeah. us about the connection between trafficking and loneliness, at least in the United States, maybe the Caribbean? So I think that's why it's extremely important to love your family, love your kids, check up on your kids, because when a child is lonely, what are they going to do? They're going to look for someone to lean on. And if someone's giving them more attention than you are, there you go. That's where it's going to be. So I think it's, 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 you know, it's a hard situation. Don't let your kids just be online for hours and you know nothing about it. You know, I know people are like, oh, but I'm a single parent. I don't care. I'm too busy at work. I don't care. Do your part because what happens is, God forbid, something happens to your child. What you're going to do is then all of a sudden you're going to have all the time in the world to search for your child, try to get them help. Don't let it get to that point. Be vigilant before it gets there. And listen, it could get past any of us. But if you catch it, bring it to the attention of local law enforcement. You know, reach out to certain organizations that go after predators, expose the predators, you know, and, and I think just be vigilant about it. Now, let's see. Let's say you're walking through the airport, a mall. I don't know if anybody goes to a mall anymore. You're you're in some place, maybe even well behaved. You're in an olive garden or something and you see a situation that you think could be trafficking. Should you err on the side of leaving that family alone or should you err on the side of calling 911? And I realize it's a trade off. There's a balance because you. You know, can't call 911 on every multiracial family you see, but you also can't let traffickers get away with it. I don't know if you have any, there's obviously no um, easy answer. Do you have any parameters on like when you err on? And I, I think, you know, we talked about it on my last podcast, you can call 1-888-3737-888 for the anti-trafficking, but really it's probably easier just to remember to call 911 if you see a situation that that could be trafficking. That doesn't, you're not going to see cages, you're not going to see handcuffs. As I've said before, a lot of these are psychological bonds before they're physical bonds. But should you err on the side of calling 911 or err on the side of just leaving families alone who or who could be families alone? For example, here in the States, I know it's a little different than the Caribbean and stuff like that. But I'll tell you, for example, here in the States, I think it's very, very important to do certain things. Trust your gut. You see something. Look at the body language, you know, between a child and an adult, you know, between a young girl and an older man, there's, you know, is she giving you some type of signal? Is there something that's red flagging? Um, does the clothes match the father's clothes or the grandfather's clothes or the male's clothes, uh, even a female's clothes? It's very important. There's no more discrepancy of judging. No, pay attention to the body language, you know, um, how they're placing them in the car, if they're in a car, what type of car. Be aware of these things and trust your gut. You know, I'm never going to be one to say, hey, don't just go around calling the cops or just calling the cops. Trust your gut. Common sense goes a long way. 
you know, just analyzation, you know, maybe if you're not 100% sure, and as long as you are safe, maybe kind of ask a dumb question just to see the response or, you know, if you, you know, find good. the opportunity. Yeah. You know, if, if, you find, if you think it's something that you, you really need to get an answer on or you want to get hands on, you know, maybe make a signal to the child, do you need help, you know, word it, something. And and if if you are safe, make the best judgment call you can. I like um, that that answer of ask a dumb question. You know, you're at some amusement park or something, and you could even be as dorky as, hey, do you come here much? You know, you might be able to read something yes. in their in their response to tell you pretty quickly, is this an uncle or is it a trafficker? And I always say do that, you know, like, hey, uh, is your father, whatever, is your, you know, get the attention of the child. I would say address the child versus the predator in the situation of what you think. So, like, if I had a chance to speak to, like, a little child, and I'll be like, I don't know, hey, does your dad usually bring you here? Because kids are always going to be pure and honest. Based off that kid's body language, I'm going to say, hey, wait, something's wrong here. Now, you but know? if it's a if it's a dad, I mean, if someone talked to your kid in public, you wouldn't be happy about that. If it, if it is the dad, yeah. what, what would you – I mean, if someone looked at your kid and said, hey, your dad bring your – you'd be like, why are you talking to my kid, right? Yeah. So, um, look, everything has a, a, a risk and a, and, a, and, yeah. a, and a worth factor, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, it, like I said, this job has it made me a little paranoid. Maybe. Um, am I just more aware of things? Yes. Um, do I? Can I scan a situation and have a good gut feeling about what's going on? I think so. So I will maybe address the situation a little different. But for a person who's not so involved, just find what works for you. Find just you know trust your gut. Even if you address the adult and you look at the body language of the child, do that. If you feel like you should call the cops, do that. If you feel like you should get the license plate of a car, do that. You know. That's right. I and I I I think it's really good you're saying trust your gut because I think most of my listeners have a really good sense of the gut. And you're gonna, you know, if if your gut is telling you this is a bad situation and the cops show up and the guy says, I'm just his uncle, okay, then that guy's life isn't ruined, but refraining from calling exactly. him gut is setting all the alarms off could hundred percent harm that kid, you know? Now, 100%. Gabe, you said something at the beginning of this podcast, pretty haunting, that it wasn't just five-year-olds, but four-year-olds, three-year-olds, two-year-olds, even one-year-olds you're rescuing. How does How is there an interplay on that with this whole situation of human organ harvesting? So I'll touch on that quickly. Um, where I see... It's a good question because it's not only human, uh, it's not only sexual trafficking that we encounter. For example, like in Haiti, um, there's orphanages that are pretty much human slaughterhouses. Um, and they have the children there for organ, organ harvesting, you know, and they sell them in the black market. It's disgusting and it exists and it's real. Um, it's not just movie stuff. It's real. So that's where we interfere a lot with that as well. Um, luckily for me personally, I have not encountered, you know, a, a situation where it's like organ harvesting. We have another unit that we send in, um, 
but it very much so I've heard horror stories. I've seen things that I I know ex- it exists. Um, and it's very much out there. And so that's a different unit, but you're still involved. Your unit is involved with um, toddlers and, and even infants. I don't want us yeah. to get too graphic, but I mean, it sounds like there is even sexual abuse of very, very small children happening out there right now. I'll tell you this, and I, I don't mind putting it out there because I think it's people need to know about it. And I obviously I won't get into the details because I don't need to poison anyone's brain like my uh I'll tell you this. I have had various of cases in the last six months of grown men having sexual intercourse with a child as young as one year old. Uh, I've witnessed it, I've had to hear it, I've had to see it over and over to get certain details of the gentleman, or not so much a gentleman, just to get information on the man. Um in order to hopefully and willingly make an arrest. Um, but it's very much so. It exists. Um, I've even seen a case where I just saw a video a couple of weeks ago of a one-year-old baby that I could tell by the video that they had drugged the baby and the man was you know, sexually abusing it completely. Um, I've seen videos where it's a father who was sexually abusing his daughter. She was around six or seven years old and he was sexually abusing her as if she was a full-blown adult trying to do all sexual positions with her and she was screaming and begging him to stop the whole video and she was saying poppy please no so was her father and it's horrific and it exists man and unfortunately it does sorry sorry for those who didn't think it it actually is facts you know, and, and this is why the Catholic Church has always taught that there's the death penalty for people who do that to children. Our Lord said, better than a millstone be tied around your neck. Um, the death penalty actually gave people a chance for repentance after doing something that horrible. Um, getting rid of the death penalty eradicates the chance, doesn't eradicate, reduces the chance of repentance, increases the chance of that happening to children. So, um that is for the reason why I'm a traditional Catholic. That's those people deserved um, execution in the Middle Ages. I agree. I agree. Yeah, you've seen you've seen a lot. So, Gabe, one of the real challenges that people in aftercare have towards those who are rescuing children is: Are you at all involved or care about aftercare? One of the things I mentioned at dinner is I've heard numbers as high as 60% of those in foster families in the United States, or rather 60% of the children who go through the foster system are often abused and trafficked. A lot of us who've been involved in aftercare look at the world of rescuers and we get worried. Are you just recycling them into like an international form of uh, foster care? So tell us maybe specifically what your organization does for aftercare after you rescue one of these kids what happens to them? Okay, so I've personally um, witnessed, I, I personally think aftercare workers, from my experience, are even 10 times more important than what we do. And the reason why I say it is because I've had a good experience of seeing what they do. Far as, you know, rehabilitation, they are great at, you know, social work, you know, getting, you know, you know uh, medical help for them, you know, obviously in any aspect. So uh, physically, 
um, um, mentally, you know, um, any, anything that they're going through, any type of trauma, they're very, I've seen them very good with that. Um, very good with even relocating families if need to be because a, a trafficker or the neighborhood or the source is, is in their neighborhood. Um, far as even psychological help in every aspect, you know, somebody monitoring them, a counselor with continuous efforts, getting them jobs. Um, we've rescued people from Colombia and then, you know, they don't have no financial situation to be able to get back. And, you know, they've, taking care of everything just to get them there in Colombia. They've relocated their families. Great help. And I've seen a, a great work of people who go the extra mile. I mean, I've seen some of these aftercare workers travel, stay with the family, you know, the, stay with the victims all through the commute until they feel comfortable enough to be on their own. Um, even, you know, even when we've kept victims as safe houses, there's multiple social workers there on site 24 seven with them, guiding them, helping them that I, I've witnessed a good end on that. Um, you know, I think there's always good and bad in everything. Um, you know, there's always going to be criticism in every aspect and anything you do. Um, I've had very good experiences and what I've seen, um, you know, I had the privilege of last year, uh, you know, we, we were on site, on a certain island to do a very big takedown. And, you know, we brought in all type of work workers. Uh, you know, we brought in a big aftercare team and we went to go visit a victim who was a survivor from a year's prior. And our contact of aftercare had been communicating with her for years. Very good. They were friends, best friends almost. We went to go visit that girl at her job. And I heard the horrific story that she went through. And I saw her there. I met her. You know, she was she was she worked at a restaurant. You know, we ate at the restaurant. And I never forget going back to my hotel. I was like, man, that was really cool. You know, because I heard her story. Our aftercare had a very good relationship with her. And I saw how much they helped. And I was like, man. From the horror story I heard about the girl, I'm like, here she is. Mm. Work working on her own with her own kid. You know, she had a, her own husband, she had her own child. I'm like, she did a full turnaround, you know. And obviously, people struggle with all type of yeah. you know, mental demons or psychological warfare, you know. But it was really cool to see that because I witnessed it and I'm like, all right. Thanks be to God. So your your organization is actually providing some of the aftercare. That's they provide all of the aftercare. Amazing. And it's and I and I've seen very good work and you know and and I'm talking about they're hands on. I mean, from what I've witnessed, all hands on, very good work. You know, um, the two big wheelhouses of my own mission, at least what I pray mostly for. Well, the three things is one: the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the restoration of the Catholic Church. So we can actually get holy in the hierarchy again. The second is the end of abortion. And the third is child sex slaves, their rescue, their liberation. I was explaining this to a priest friend of mine once, and I talked for way too long. And finally, he said, so let me get this right. Abortion is killing the children's bodies and trafficking is killing their souls. I said, that's right. You just summarized my two hours of blabbing in one sentence. 
<laughs> and as you know, Gabe is a Catholic. There's the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's in some sense lived out in everyone's lives who's going to be saved. So when you meet a young woman like this who is rescued, um, you really do see someone who's been through not just the destruction of their body, but in some sense, even the destruction of their soul. That's yeah. one reason why the the rejuvenation, the the resurrection in their life, not talking about the resurrection of the body that will please God happen in that young woman's life in 50 years, 100 years, general judgment, whatever it is. But you already see something of a little our resurrection in their lives. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is um, you see people killed and and brought to life again. Not Not exactly the same as Jesus did to Lazarus or Jesus raising himself, but you see the Paschal cycle in people's lives a little bit here that um, you get to see people who probably mentally shouldn't make it. And like you said, they're going to, they're going to be haunted maybe the rest of their lives. There's no easy pathway for them after being raped thousands of times, but that's beautiful. You get to see some resurrection in the lives um, that really begins at your rescue. Yeah. It's um, it's a blessing, you know. It's a blessing because I, you know, I don't always get to see it. You know, the unfortunate thing is, I sometimes, you know, we do the rescue and we pretty much hand them off and we never see them again, and we don't know that person's state. I wonder all the time, you know. There's there's certain cases I wonder. I'm like, man, I wonder how that little kid's doing or how that little girl's doing or you know how she doing, you know. So the one being able to see that, I was really like, this is cool. You know, because I was able yeah. to see it all play out, and and it was it, it was rewarding to see that. You know, I'm praying for your mission. I'd encourage all my listeners to pray specifically for your mission. All the girls you're able to rescue, those you Thank haven't you. gotten to yet. Um, you're a husband and a father living here in the United States. What's your advice yeah. to families out there? Well, let me give mine real quick, and then you can build on that. Just I don't know if you had a chance to listen to my last podcast last night, but I'm just going to repeat what I said on that yeah. for. The listeners who haven't heard that. And it's, it's basically, um, well, actually I didn't say that I was going to get to this. So I'm going to say this now, don't let your kids have cell phones. M- maybe at maximum, you can get one of those gab phones. Don't let them have cell phones. Don't let them be chatting with people online and love your kids. Cause if they run away, there's a 95% chance they're going to end up uh, with a trafficker who's going to use psychological bonds long before he uses physical or pharmacological based yep. Uh, yep. so, um, am I right on that? Do you want to build on it? Do you want to edit or delete anything I just said? So I'll tell you, uh, most important for me are, is very simple. Um, I'm a father before I'm a friend and I, 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 I keep that role. My kids know that I love my kids. I have a fun with them. I have a blast with my kids, but my kids know I'm a father before I'm their best friend. So I'm going to do my job as a protector versus pleasing them. So for example, I have simple rules like I monitor everything my kids do. You know, um, if my, I have a, you know, I have a 15 year old boy, he's almost, he's almost bigger than me and he's into gaming or whatnot. I check everything. You know, he's even told me one time, Hey dad, look at this somehow. Some, cause you have a lot of these traffickers who are high level on reaching your kids better than you can. They will get they will get through on apps that you will think are restricted, and they will message your children with scripted words and, and messaging. So you got to be aware of your kids' stuff. You know, you got to be aware of what they're on, what they're doing, what devices they're using. Because let's be real, a lot of these kids are on 
cell phones, laptops, and all this. So for the ones that are, for the parents that do allow it, monitor it. Be aware of your kid's usage of, you know, your kid shouldn't be on, on their cell phone while they're about to go to bed, while you're in your bed about to go to sleep, you know. Um, so be aware of the applications that they use, the games that they use. You know, are they connected to online mainstream? Are they private because, you know, you have them restricted and you got to enter a code to get them access to use their games? Be aware of it. Overall, I think personally there's an age restriction that my seven-year-old is not going to be on some phone, you know, playing some game in the world. Like That's my thoughts. I know we're like in this new era where people think it's okay just to give my kid a phone, get entertained so I can be entertained and I can do my own thing. That's also the problem with parenting nowadays. Um, so I think it's important to know everything that your kid's doing online because a lot of these predators are now going online. Ever since, you know, COVID helped us out with that, you know. The, the numbers that climbed sexual predators online through COVID skyrocketed. They just figured out how to use it and how to do it. So be aware of what your kids are doing online. Love your kids. Stay friends with your kids. You know the relate. Have a good relationship with your kids. Know your kids' friends circle. Um, know what after after school activities your kids are doing. Don't just leave them somewhere without knowing what they're doing. And even at home, make sure you know your surrounding adults who are around your kids, or even an older brother's friends. Um, be aware of what your kids are doing. Um, you know, remember your job as a parent. Protect your kids. You know. Um, and I can't express this enough. You know, it's not always what you think. You know, just because your kid's playing the front porch, some guy's not going to just come snatch him in a van and take him. What's worse is the psychological warfare that they're doing to them on a device. You know, somebody, you know, little by little picking apart your child, you know, manipulating them. You, you know, your daughter or son starts sending nude pictures. And it could be an adult. And they might even think it's a child at the end of the day, and it's not. Yeah, let me tell you a quick story. There's a family I know yep. they're on the East Coast, a really good Catholic family. I've known them in real life for 20 years. Uh, they have a teenage girl at a Catholic high school, not just a regular run-of-the-mill diocesan, very private, awesome uh, Catholic high school. And uh, she's yep. involved in the pro-life movement. And she's on some app I've never heard of called Roblox. And the person communicating to her on this, because she's pro-life, and it was in a pro-life forum, said... Um, you know, he's really pro-life, but he was a handicapped boy. And soon enough, he got her to believe only she understood him. Only she was compassionate to him. And so they ended up in a communication uh, where she felt, you know, really, really special um, because a handicapped kid in the pro-life forum was telling her that she made him feel special. Right. And then he asked to meet. Well, right then her mom uh, happened to look in the phone and it turns out this was not a handicapped kid in a with a with a pro-life heart it was an adult trying to capture her and and try yeah, of course and so they had been communicating for a long time and uh, my friend got uh, the police and some three-letter agencies involved in everything else but uh, the girl who's targeted is very very smart very very pro-life very very catholic this isn't just some, you know, backwoods or inner city situation. Yep. Um, she was truly tricked by a man pretending to be a 
14-year-old handicapped boy who was very Catholic, right? So yeah. that's an example of um, it's not it's not going to look like what you think. And, and even really smart, good kids can get tricked. Luckily, your yeah. mom stepped in before she she met this this guy out there. Um, but it can happen to anybody. It can and it will. Um, and if you're not aware about it, it will happen. It happens daily. I can't even tell you how many times it happens. Um, so it's something that you have to be very vigilant about. Um, you got to monitor your kids' devices. Look, my son's 15 years old, and I'm telling you, he when he met when he showed me a couple a couple like two years ago, he showed me he was on a game and he was it was him and like four buddies that they were all, they would be able to play online with the same game. Somehow a user was trying to get access into that group. And the guy started talking. My son said, hey, dad, look at this. And I start, I continued the conversation. I knew for a fact it was a grown man by the way he was talking to me. Second, I, I told him, hey, I have your IP address. I'm notifying the police. Disappeared. Disappeared. You know? And, and you're going to get a lot of that. And it happens more and more and more. And, and especially with these apps, I tell, you know, parents, make sure your kids are private. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Make sure your kids' accounts are private if they have it. You know, make sure you know about it. Make sure you're a friend in their thing. Make sure they don't have a secondary hidden profile. All these things you got to be aware about. It. Yeah. And, you know, you and I may not agree on this thing. I was, I, as a priest, I was ordained in, when I was 33 or maybe 30, I don't know. I was ordained in 2010, whatever 2010 minus 1978 is. Um, until I was 35, I had a flip phone. I had no Facebook, no Twitter, no blog, no podcast. I had a flip phone till I was 35. So, I mean, my suggestion to people is if if I, as a priest, living in parish life before I was a monk missionary slash hermit, whatever I am now, if I could have a flip phone till I was 35, probably your kids are just fine with only a flip phone. Um, but Gabe, can you, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Any final yeah. stories to leave people with? Any any cool stories? And again, thanks thanks for what you're doing for the, children of the world who are don't deserve this um i don't know about any stories but i will tell people be aware of this um you know i'm not saying it make it something that you become so paranoid where you can't live but yeah. be aware about it know about it know in your surrounding areas you know look up the sexual predators in your surrounding areas keep your family safe be aware of what news is out there with trafficking in your local area if you're going to travel, be aware of what's going on in that area. You know, just do your homework, pay attention to what is happening in the world. Um, and just more than anything, just protect your kids and yeah, stay as safe as possible. We have a really dangerous job. And so on behalf of all my listeners, thank you for rescuing child sex slaves. They are truly that we have to get it in people's minds. Uh, none 100%. of these are doing tricks because they want to, or even for money or even for popularity. They've been brainwashed and it's rape every single time. And you are stopping, you're literally ch stopping children from being raped. And we thank you for your, your courage because you're putting Appreciate. your own your own life on the line. So thanks for all you do. Thank you. And hey, Appreciate thank, it, man. thank you for giving me some uh, tips and shooting when I was out there in Florida last week. Of course, of course. Yes, sir. God bless you. Thanks so much, Gabe. Take care. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.